Galatians 2, 1 to 21. Then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went there because of a revelation, and I laid out the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles for them. But I did it privately with the influential leaders to make sure that I wouldn't be working or that I hadn't worked for nothing. However, not even Titus, who was with me and who was a Greek, was required to be circumcised. But false brothers and sisters, who were brought in secretly, slipped in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, and to make us slaves. We didn't give in and submit to them for a single moment, so that the truth of the gospel would continue to be with you. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was wrong. He had been eating with the Gentiles before certain people came from James. But when they came, he began to back out and separate himself, because he was afraid of the people who promoted circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas got carried away with them in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they weren't acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of everyone, if you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you require the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are born Jews, we are not Gentile sinners. However, we know that a person isn't made righteous by works of the law, but rather through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We ourselves believed in Christ Jesus so that we could be made righteousness by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law because no one will be made righteous by the works of the law. But if it is discovered that we ourselves are sinners while we are trying to be made righteous in Christ, then is Christ a servant of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild the very things that I tore down, I show that I myself am breaking the law. I died to the law through the law so that I could live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith. Indeed, by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't ignore the grace of God, because if we become righteous through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I have a question for you. In general, do you consider yourself more of a rule breaker or a rule follower? Take a second to discuss your answer with anyone you're in the room with right now. And if you're watching live on Facebook, feel free to out yourself to friends and strangers in the chat box. When I was seven or eight, I went to a sleepover. As my mother dropped me off, the last thing she said to me was, don't stay up too late. Well, since she didn't clarify what too late actually meant, I assigned myself a bedtime of 10 p.m. and then just laid there in my sleeping bag trying to sleep while everybody else kept playing around me. I know, that's literally the lamest thing you've ever heard. 
Some of you are much cooler people, like Pastor Scott, who would take don't stay up too late as a challenge to make it to sunrise Tuesday. Well, for me, one of the funniest lines in the New Testament is Galatians 2.11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. Uh, The Cephas that Paul has just thrown under the bus here is also known as Peter, the leader of Jesus' 12 disciples and the man that history remembers as the church's first pope. So what exactly did Peter do to deserve this public takedown? Well, to understand his offense, we need to back up a bit. Peter, Paul, and many of the first Christians were raised in Judaism to structure their lives according to something called the law. The law outlined the basic do's and don'ts of behavior that were, was required in order to maintain good relationship with God. It covered every aspect of life, from what you ate, to who you ate with, to how you dressed, to when you worshipped, to how much money you gave away. The specific do's and don'ts of the Old Testament law might sound pretty strange when you read them in 2020, but the vision of religion that they represent is still pretty familiar even today. If you want to be in good standing with God, if you desire God's affection, or if you just want to avoid a lightning bolt, there are just some things you've got to do. Now, the specific rules are spelled out by whatever religious group you're a part of. You don't drink, or you don't throw away recyclable plastics. You don't associate with bad people however your group defines really badness. You do raise your hands in worship, or you definitely don't. You do give to certain causes. You do express certain opinions on social media. Anyway, as missionaries like Paul start sharing the story of Jesus, new communities of Jesus followers begin springing up across the Roman Empire. It's really exciting. But then a new set of missionaries start showing up at these newly formed churches. These missionaries see it as their duty to clarify the rules for what is forbidden and required if these new believers really want to be a part of the Christian religion. When word about this second missionary effort gets back to Paul, he's hopping mad about it. For Paul, the real problem is not that the Christian rules police are annoying everyone. The problem is they're twisting what the Christian faith is even about. Anyone who reads the story of Jesus will quickly discover that Jesus has a complicated relationship with the law, the rules that governed religious behavior. Jesus didn't trash the rules, but he didn't exactly live bound by them either. For example, there were rules about not working on the day of worship. Jesus didn't claim it was a bad idea to reserve a day each week for rest and prayer. But if someone needed healing, he also did that work of healing, no matter what day it was. There were also rules that governed who was acceptable company. Um, 
rules against eating with people like prostitutes, drunks, Roman oppressors, tax-collecting collaborators. After all, to eat with someone like this could be seen as endorsing bad behavior. And Jesus didn't claim all this behavior was okay, but if someone invited him to dinner, he went to dinner, no matter who they were or what they'd done. No one was outside the bounds of Jesus' affection. His love and acceptance preceded the change, not the other way around. For Paul, the conclusion of all this was clear. Jesus has set us free from the law, Paul's shorthand for rules-based religion. Paul puts it this way, I died to the law through the law so that I could live for God. And the life I now live in my body, I live by faith. Indeed, by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, your acceptance by God has already been decided. Jesus has given you God's great yes. And he did it because he wanted you, enough to die to claim you. This great love story has been unfolding completely outside the bounds of rule-based religion. Your conformity with the rules had nothing to do with it. Which means you live with the shocking liberty of someone who has nothing to earn or to prove. Paul says, False brothers and sisters who were brought in secretly slipped in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Jesus Christ, and to make us slaves. These Christian missionaries clarifying the rules are trying to make people earn their acceptability to God through right behavior. They're preaching the wrong story. The story that they're promoting isn't actually even Christian at all. But what's really scary is that even great leaders like Peter are starting to get confused about the difference. Even Peter is so intimidated by these loud religious voices shouting, you can't do that, and you must do this, that he started jumping through hoops and lost track of the voice of Jesus saying, come and follow me. You might wonder what any of this has to do with us in 2020. We are living in a time saturated in religion. There's secular religion and sacred religion. There's left religion and right religion. My social media feed is filled with people pronouncing judgments on those who've failed to live up to their religious obligations. I imagine yours is too. It's exhausting to navigate a world full of religion. It's hard to remember all the rules. And no one can agree exactly on what all the rules even are. But here's the good news. Christianity is not a religion like the rest. It's not a system of beliefs and behaviors that make us acceptable to God. Christianity is a relationship. It's not defined by a set of rules. It's only defined by a commitment to share your life with Jesus. Uh, Too many people who are used to the safety of religion find that this kind of freedom sounds scary. Uh, We wonder, does this mean what I do doesn't matter? 
Does this mean that anything goes? Do we all just switch from being rule followers to rule breakers? Well, Paul actually answers these questions at the beginning of his letter when he defines what freedom means. He writes in Galatians 1.10, Am I trying to win over human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be Christ's slave. Paul's point is that we've been released from human rules and systems so that we can be Christ's alone. Jesus has set us free from religion, its requirements and obligations, so that we can be entirely his to command. So what does it look like to live free of religion, but entirely at the command of Christ? I suspect it looks something like waking up each day and asking, Jesus, what do you want from me today? What's on your mind? What's your agenda? Religion wakes up and asks, what are the rules and requirements? Because once I know the rules and requirements, I can do whatever I want as long as it checks the basic boxes and doesn't violate any boundaries. Christian faith wakes up and asks, Jesus, what should we do together? What is today's work of love? Let me give you just one small example of what the change from religion to relationship can look like. I went through a really religious phase myself as a young adult where I was just deeply concerned to get the rules right. I knew that God cares about the purity of heart and mind, so I actually made a list for myself of rules of what made Christian entertainment acceptable or not. Then I purged my movie collection straight into the trash. It was a great triumph of religion. The only problem was... My rules were completely arbitrary, and it was only a matter of weeks before my standards changed again. Now, fast forward many years of evolving, growing Christian faith. And during the recent months of quarantine, one of the spiritual practices that I've been working on myself is cultivating a greater awareness of Jesus' presence with me as I go through the day. As it happens, like a lot of you, I've also been spending more time than usual on Netflix. A couple of weeks ago, I turned on a show that I'd been watching for several seasons. Now, After watching for a couple of minutes, I just became aware of Jesus' presence with me in the room, where I'd been inviting him for the last few months to be. He wasn't judging me or forbidding anything or laying down any rules. He was just sitting beside me on the sofa, watching quietly. And looking at that screen, aware of his presence, I just had this sudden visceral feeling of ick. Like when you're walking through your yard and your foot lands in something warm and squishy. And I thought, you know, this show is basically just a celebration of violence, adultery, and deceit. I honestly can't think of a single good, true, or beautiful thing about it. I don't even know why I'm watching it. It didn't feel worth my time time and attention, let alone Jesus's. Yet here we sat. And just like that, I knew we were done. And I turned it off. 
Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's a whole new kind of life. It's not about slavery to religious do's and don'ts. It's not about carrying the weight of God's judgment or living under other people's rules. It's not even living up to your own system of requirements. It's about walking in awareness of Jesus's constant presence with you. It's about coming awake to the fact that our life and Christ's life are one. It's about being fully his in our work and in our play, in our waking, in our sleeping, in our eating, and in our loving. It's a life of radical freedom where the only rule is relationship with the one who loves us and desires our wholeness and the wholeness of the world. Wherever you find yourself this week, whatever voices are calling your name, remember there is only one thing that is actually required of you, that you be fully, truly, deeply Christ's. Let's pray together. Lord, some of us know too well this experience of religious slavery. Maybe because we were taught it by preachers. Maybe because its burden was laid on us by other Christians. Maybe because we picked it up ourselves. We know what it is to feel weighted by rules and requirements to feel guilt and shame for what we haven't lived up to, maybe to feel just anger and rebellion at, at just everyone trying to hold us back from things we think are good and true and right. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have come to write a new story for humanity, and it's not a religious story. It's not a story that's about a brand new list of do's and don'ts or rules. It's the story of relationship, of a life lived in your presence, walking with you, talking with you, eating with you and with others. A life in the radical freedom of love. We pray that this morning you would relieve us of the burden of any vestiges of religion we're still carrying. And that you would stir up and awaken with us the reality of real faith. Make us aware of your presence with us. Tune us to your voice. And teach us the joy of true freedom walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.